So good to see everyone out there. Welcome to those of you joining us online or if you're checking out a recording of this. So last week, we sort of dipped our toe into the second half of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. If you missed it, strongly encourage you to go back and check it out online um, for two reasons. One, it kind of sets the foundation for what we're going to be studying today and kind of going forward. But second, in it, I try to encourage everybody to consider some New Year's resolutions in 2023 and to consider a different way of thinking about resolutions. Instead of resolving to do something all year long and then knowing you're probably going to be failing multiple times and kind of just beat yourself up over it, instead, look at 2023 as a year in which you will be sanctified in those resolutions, that you'll be working with the Holy Spirit, you'll be working with Scripture, and kind of by the end of 2023, all that you've resolved to do, you have put into place in your everyday, ordinary life. That's my encouragement to you. And of course, we'll see here in just a minute, the resolutions that we suggest you consider from the Apostle Paul himself. And that's mainly because of the stuff Cammie was talking about, the let's go stuff. We don't want to be a church that just comes to a building on Sundays. We want to be about the business of the church every single day of the week. That's why we have this let's go thing. That's the motto we sing about. You see it on signs, you see it on placards. It's because we want to get out there and put into practice in our everyday, ordinary life all it is that we believe. So last week, we kind of began by looking at how Paul used this very powerful word, therefore, to connect the first half of what we learned prior to Thanksgiving with the second half of his letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's a powerful word because it's a call to action. It's a response. And it's kind of marked by that arrow up there. That arrow is something to be reminding yourself of because whenever we see something in light of what we believe, we therefore must respond. And that's because behavior just naturally follows what it is that we believe. They're intrinsically linked. If we believe a bridge will hold, we'll use the bridge, we'll cross it. If we believe food is not safe to eat, we won't eat the food. And that's because what we believe shapes our behavior. So important that we keep that in mind. And so Paul's essentially urging us that in light of all it is that we believe, in light of everything we see up there in the blue font, in light of all of that, we must therefore respond or walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called as God's adopted children, as heirs of his kingdom. And that's what we see on the orange side up there. And then he gives us five specific behaviors or ways that we can behave in step with all it is that we believe. And these are what I'm proposing we consider for our New Year's resolutions as a church in 2023. We covered the first two of them, as you see up there in gray last week, where once again we ran smack into this issue of humility. And just as an aside, you remember that video of me running under the humility sign um, back before Christmas? Over 10,000 unique watches. Can you believe that? Can, can you imagine if we had that many people watching sermons, what would change? Ah, whatever. I guess that's my, as Tyler said, my 20 seconds of fame will be running into a humility sign and the whole world getting a chance to see it. So really important though, because as we studied throughout Advent, we learned this really important truth about humility, and that is that God comes to the humble. He isn't prospering his kingdom among the arrogant, among the self-righteous. No, God works through the humble. 
And then we also learned about gentleness, or its cousin word, meekness. It isn't just having a mild manner, it's also having inner strength, which is a special kind of strength if you think about it. Because it's the kind of strength where we can suffer a wrong without having to retaliate. Think about that. That's a special kind of strength because each of us generally, when someone wrongs us, we just inside of us just want to, kind of like Cammie said, hit that bag, right? We just kind of want to explode. Now the original word is praudis, and as we mentioned last week, it was such a profound word that Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, spent a lot of time considering this. And as he kind of turned it around, he came up with several observations. He concluded that a gentle or a meek man is never always angry, but also never, never angry. He's always angry at the right time, and never angry at the wrong time. A meek man is also more apt to get angered whenever someone else is harmed, as opposed to whenever he is harmed. And that's important, again, because many of us struggle with this. So if you missed last week's sermon, go check it out, especially in this gentleness realm. And now let's turn our attention to the remaining three behaviors. So after humility and gentleness comes patience. So it really doesn't get any better, does it? Patience. Hmm. This is another one of those attributes that doesn't come naturally to most of us. The original word is makrothmia, and it means long-suffering. It's staying in control for an extended period of time. If we're honest with ourselves, that's a challenge. It also means persevering or a steadfast endurance. It's a slowness to respond, especially when we're agitated. And I trust I'm not alone with this challenge in my life. It's so easy to just lose it, especially when you're out there driving around, isn't it? And in particular, this road out in front of the church, Tuscarawas Road, you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? So that road was designed to be traveled at 45 miles per hour, and I understand that used to be the old speed limit. But somebody in their infinite wisdom dialed that back to 35 miles per hour. And that's a challenge. <laughs> but there's a non-trivial share of people in Brighton Township that actually like to drive it at 25 miles per hour. <laughs> and about a quarter mile from their house, they even slow it down even more. And so they make that final turn into the driveway about two miles per hour with about 30 cars behind them. And you all know what I'm talking about because I can see it on your faces. You hear it, you know the deal. And I know my brother Dave Holbein over there, we've shared this conversation. I know the frustration, it hurts. So all of us have to wrestle with this issue of patience. It's a real thing for every one of us. So why is Paul so focused on it? Why does he want us to address this? Well, if you think about the degree of sin that permeates our world. It's absolutely everywhere. Even whenever someone has good intentions, there's always some contamination of sin inside of this. So we should expect offenses and harm to kind of be rising against us pretty much all day, every day. And so Paul urges us in this case to be patient in how we handle these offenses so that we can carry out God's master plan which is to unite all things in Christ, perhaps by tolerating 
overlooking, even getting past offenses that are caused against us whenever it's possible for us, moving quickly to seek reconciliation with those amazing gifts that God gave us, those gifts of repentance, those gifts of forgiveness, resisting that temptation to retaliate, but especially whenever we're in a position to enact revenge. Because if you look at the other side of that driving patience issue, sometimes you're just moving along at the speed limit and some clown gets behind you and he's trying to go 20, 25 miles an hour faster and he's riding your tail, trying to go left and right, honking at you. And so you have this chance to enact revenge, don't you? So if you're like me, what do you do? You slow down even more, don't you? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what we're talking about. It goes either way. And that's why we have to be mindful of this. And that's why Paul urges us to be patient with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, cultivating that spirit that can suffer unpleasant people with grace and foolish ones without irritation. And that is a high calling indeed. And just like gentleness, patience is also a fruit of the spirit. So that means it's a trait that we begin to take on once we've humbled ourselves and we've placed our faith in Jesus. And that Holy Spirit has taken up residence within us where he sanctifies us and he makes us more Christ-like. In fact, in addition to describing Jesus as humble and gentle, as we learned last week, Scripture also describes our Lord as being patient. As Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Just think about how patient God is with us. Day in and day out, sin after sin, we constantly are rebelling against him, and yet he's patient. He doesn't exact revenge. He even offers those new graces and those new mercies that we need every single morning. So as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as he makes us more Christ-like, we should begin to see the fruit of patience appearing in our lives. So to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we need humility, gentleness, patience, and fourth, we must bear with one another in love. Isn't it interesting how each of these builds on the other? Humility is clearly the starting point, and from humility comes gentleness or meekness, and that inner strength is clearly needed for patience, and then this word bearing with one another in love is clearly a direct result of being patient. It takes patience to bear with the challenges that others typically create for us. So hopefully you can see how this starts to hang together for us. Now in some sense, this fourth one not only tells us what we're to do, but also tells us how we're to do it. We're to do it in love. Now there are several Greek words used in the New Testament for love, but the one used here is agape, which means we must bear with one another out of affection, goodwill, kindness toward our brothers and sisters. Now a central feature of this kind of love is that it is an act of the will. It's less about the feeling side of love that we often think about. It's a choice. You see, you can threaten people, you can incentivize them to do all sorts of things, but the one thing you can't make them do is love you. And if you think back to your days in elementary school and you had your first crush on another person, it's frustrating, wasn't it? 
Because no matter how hard you tried, no matter how funny you were trying to be or whatever you tried to do, you couldn't get the other person to love you back. That's because it's a choice. It's an act of the will. And love happens whenever we choose or desire another person's joy or their satisfaction over our own. Love lies at the root of the great commandments, our calling to love God and our calling to love each other. And just like those other behaviors that we've been studying, love is also one of the nine fruits of the Spirit, which is again why when the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and makes us more Christ-like, he brings forth the fruit of love in our lives. Because as the Apostle John tells us, God is love. In fact, he's the very definition of it. As John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So we must respond to our calling in all humility, gentleness, patience, love, and fifth, we must be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So as each of these build towards the other, this fifth one is a climax of sorts. So we're going to go ahead and flip this graphic on its head because it not only shows how each of the previous build on each other, but it also brings us to the grand purpose of us responding to our calling, and that is simply one word, unity. Remember, God's grand design is to unite all things in Christ. So we've got to take a moment to make sure we're clear about what we mean here by this word, unity. First, the modern view of unity is completely different than what Paul's talking about here, because it means we're supposed to unite with everyone. We are to compromise so that we can all get along, because all roads essentially lead to heaven. That's the prevailing contemporary view. But this is why we can never separate what we believe with how we behave. That's why that therefore, that arrow we keep talking about is so important, because we must respond in our behavior in step or in light of what it is that we believe, what we know to be true, what we learned in chapters one through three, where everything centers on Jesus. Because it's God's grand design to unite all things in Christ. That is a truth. So this unity could only be experienced by those whose identity is in Christ, among his adopted children. And that only happens when someone has first placed their faith in Jesus. So this unity that Paul's talking about, it's all in Christ. All roads don't lead to heaven. And that's why we simply can't maintain unity with people who are outside of Christ. We're certainly called to engage with them, to spend time with them. We're not to pull ourselves out of the world. We're to share the good news of the gospel with them. But we cannot unite with them. They don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. And that leads us to our second point here. And that's that Paul tells us that unity happens by virtue of the Holy Spirit. That's a really important point here. He writes, the unity of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always about the business of pointing us to Jesus, to uniting his people in Christ. So wherever the Holy Spirit reigns, there is unity in Christ, fellowship among the saints, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. You see, we aren't the ones 
who create unity. The Holy Spirit does. Our duty is to maintain the unity that he has created. We're to do whatever it takes to endeavor, to hold fast, to keep, and to preserve the unity of the Holy Spirit. And how do we do that? Well, that's what Paul's been teaching us about. It all starts with humility, which sets the conditions for gentleness or meekness, which then leads to patience, allowing us to bear with one another in love so that we can do what lies at the very core of this teaching, that we can maintain the unity of the Spirit. So again, it's important that we have a firm grasp of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, it's one of the doctrines that is most misunderstood throughout the church. Because if we think of the Holy Spirit as an it, or we think of the Holy Spirit as some power, then we're sorely mistaken. He is the third person of the Trinity. Recall this graphic, we've hit it a few times now. It depicts the Trinity, one God in three persons. And it seems like a paradox. How can this be? On the one hand this, on the other hand that, how can the two of them be consistent? Well, the Father is God, that is true. The Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are three distinct persons in one God. The Father is the creator and sustainer of the universe. The Son is the Savior and Lord of the world. And the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of God's people. So when we're in a relationship with God, it means we're in a relationship with all three persons of the Trinity. We have to be. It's how finite man engages with an infinite God. God, the Holy Spirit, indwells us. He makes us more Christ-like each day. God the Son saves us by the washing of his blood. He makes us right before God the Father. That's why Paul teaches in Romans that all things flow from God, they flow through God, and they flow to God. That is the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not a power. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He is sovereign, and he is good. And he forges the bond of peace. When we're unified in Christ, there's this bond of peace. And the word for peace is arene, and it means tranquility, prosperity, security, and harmony. That's how we get to live with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love that, because when people are in step, when they're in sync, they're in harmony with one another. Can you imagine if we live that way as a church? No more grumbling about the inconsequential things. Instead, we'd be in harmony about the big stuff, about our focus on things like the Great Commission, to go and make disciples, or the Great Commandments, to love God and to love each other. And of course, like the others, peace is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is an attribute of God. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he writes, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, as the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as he makes us more Christ-like, we'll begin to bear that fruit, the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace throughout the entirety of our lives. Now there's one more final point I want to make, and it's really important that you focus here. It's critical that we grasp this. It's actually something that Tyler and I have been working on together here for months now, 
And it's important because it's a way to appreciate how all of this happens. You know, you come to church, the pastor's up there telling you all these things, you got scripture up there. Sometimes it can be a little challenging. Maybe you grasp what the truth is. But then how is it that I put it into practice in my life? Because we tend to fall out on one of two extremes. We either fall victim to this notion that it's all on us, that in order for me to do what I need to do as a Christian, I gotta do all five of those things up there. So I gotta be really gentle in my life, I gotta figure out how to be patient, I gotta bear with one another in love, and man, it's just like, seems impossible, but I gotta do it. Or we fall victim to the other extreme, where we just sit back, and we'll just wait for God to do this in our life. We just, you know, we can't do this, we'll just wait back, there's no way we can do it, we'll just hold back and see if he does it for us. And that's where Eugene Peterson's description of the middle voice is so helpful. He argues that our interaction with God on all levels must occur in the middle voice. Now, here's what he means, and this is a bit of a grammar lesson, but hang with me, it's pretty straightforward. First, there's the active voice. You've probably heard this. And it's when I act on another person. I counsel the Holy Spirit. That's me acting. This represents that case where we think that it's all on us. And so we try to take charge and we try to order God around and tell him what he's supposed to do. Many Christians do that, we do it all the time. God, I need you to do this, I want this, I want this, I want this, right? So that's not something that's unrealistic, but it's clearly the active voice, me acting on God. Second, the passive voice. That's when I'm acted on by another person. I am counseled by the Holy Spirit. And this represents that case where maybe I'm just sitting back. I take the Holy Spirit's counsel, but I don't do anything with it. I'm convicted by it, but it doesn't somehow impact my life. But the middle voice, that's when we act in response to being acted on by another person. So it's I take counsel from the Holy Spirit. So do you see how the middle voice brings the two of them together? God is the first mover, that's true. He acts on us, that's true but we also must take action by responding to him. We must take his counsel. That is an action that we must take. In other words, we're to be actively engaged in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As he enlightens scripture, as he convicts, comforts, and counsels our spirits to be humble, he's motivating us so that we think less of ourselves and our focus is more on God and other people. To be gentle and meek, the Holy Spirit's providing that inner strength that we need so that we can resist the urge to retaliate. To be patient, the Holy Spirit is inspiring us so we can get past those offenses against us. To bear with one another in love, the Holy Spirit is granting us the desire so that we seek others' joy above our own, so that we might be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, ultimately, so that we can carry out God's master plan to unite all things in Christ, the very thing he set forth since before the foundation of the world. So like last week, we're gonna take about five minutes, we'll put the timer up here, and we'd like to try to digest this teaching, and we're gonna do that by journaling, it's a great discipline, and the reason why it's such a good discipline is because it's a way for us to slow down our minds to write down our thoughts, to maybe even write some prayers out to God. So if you didn't bring your, um, your little journal from last week, we got plenty of them. Cammie and Tyler have some extras. If you didn't grab one on the way in the door, they'll pass them out to you. But what I'd like us to consider is, first of all, our passage up here. 
Read through the scripture again, and if any word jumps out at you, just circle it or, or write it down, and maybe some thoughts that you might have on that word. I'd also go ask you to ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit to convict you about how Paul might be calling you to make some resolutions in 2023. And the ones that are particularly important for you in your life, maybe write some of those down. And then perhaps ask for the strength that you might respond to the Holy Spirit's promptings in that middle voice, so that as he is prompting you all day, every day, that you might take action and respond to all that he's calling you to do in your life. Father, we thank you that you have called us as your adopted children to play a central role in your master plan to unite all things in Christ. Holy Spirit, would you strengthen us in humility, gentleness, patience, and love so that we might maintain the unity that you have established and so that we might live in the bond of peace. May we resolve to grow in all these regards throughout 2023. For Jesus' sake, amen.